Hey Jays fans, welcome back to another episode of the Blue Jays Bites podcast sponsored by Lawler's Custom Sportswear. I'm Bryant Ott from whiteandbluereview.com. Joining me tonight is Matt DeMarinas as always. And tonight is a special episode of Blue Jays Bites. Tonight we go in-depth in the season uh, finale show for the Creighton women's basketball team. Um, the big feature tonight, a, uh, a nearly hour-long in-depth interview by Matt DeMarinas of Creighton women's basketball head coach Jim Flannery. Matt, before we break into that, though, um, first, welcome back to the show, and, and second, um, how you doing? How was the last couple weeks of March Madness treating you? Doing good. I mean, actually, it was kind of funny with all the uh, traveling we have done. I actually didn't do any traveling for the NCAA tournament, so I kind of just got to kick back and relax and watch it from that perspective. So it was uh, one of the easiest NCAA tournaments I've ever covered. <laughs> right. Uh, all from the comfort of your March Madness app and the ESPN Watch ESPN app. Um, that's where we found the the Creighton women's basketball team on the ESPN side of things as they headed out to Corvallis, Oregon as a seven seed. And the Blue Jays won their first game, lost their second. I know we'll get way in depth on things with Jim here in your interview, but um, for all of our listeners at home, um, kind of walk through how that weekend went. Uh, for, for the Jays that Friday, Sunday. Friday, obviously a, a big night for for many Blue Jays and just the program as a whole with a, a win over the 10 seed Toledo Rockets. Yeah, Friday was kind of like a wild day if you're uh, – I mean, I know it's – I know there's not many that, um, that, you know, kind of invest in both the men's side of things and the women's side of things. I mean, obviously the men have a huge following and – um, you know, compared to the women, but it was kind of funny because the men had this game against Rhode Island that just really almost nothing went right, and there was really nothing good to take away from it outside of like a few individual performances. Um, and then the women were tipping off maybe a half an hour later. So from my perspective, I'm following this, I'm following the men's game, and I'm like, "Ish." And then, you know, I'm trying to like, uh, you know, put uh, some overall thoughts on it. And then I'm 15 minutes away from tip-off from the women's game. And I'm just thinking back to when I was in uh, Chapel Hill a couple of years ago and the men's soccer team that was, you know, kind of on a road to Kansas City and had a yeah. bunch of crazy like, waiting to make that track. Remember that? Oh, yeah. They lose to Akron, and then the women and the men basketball team loses to Loyola that day. And it's like in the last game of the day was the women's basket, women's volleyball team playing in North Carolina for a chance to go to their first Sweet 16. It's like – Man, if this goes sideways, what a day. <laughs> like, are we ready for this to happen poorly? And then nobody right. wanted that, right? Everybody was looking at the women's basketball team that, that St. Patrick's Day uh, a week or so ago as, please save the day for us. Just please give us something here good. And it's funny because I'm pretty sure there was more pressure on them than they thought. You know, and just in talking to Flan, he said he didn't get the chance to watch Rhode Island game until, like, well after. Because, obviously, he was scouting Oregon State and Long Beach State the game before because those were the opponents that they would face if they beat Toledo. So I don't think any of the women were – or anybody on that team, coaches, players, anybody, were focused on what the men were doing against Rhode Island. So there was a little bit more pressure on them than they probably realized going into that game. Mm-hmm. Um, but Marissa Janning handled it, took care of it, took care of it right away in the first five minutes. I mean, she went full-on sophomore year, Big East Player of the Year, Marissa, which was – 
interesting to see because I don't know if I talked about this after the Big East tournament or not, but she was really beating herself up after the way things played out in Milwaukee. Um, you know, I think she only scored 10 points in those two games, and she really didn't shoot the ball well. She didn't play well. And just talking to her after the Marquette loss, she felt like um, it was a really tough interview, and she felt like she left a lot out. I mean, she didn't leave. She felt like she didn't leave enough out there on the court to get the job done, and there was kind of a lot of regret setting in. It was kind of a, you know, a mentally tough thing for her to deal with. And then for her to have to turn the page now because she's going to this NCAA tournament game, which, you know, you're tipping off and you're prepared and everything like that. But 40 minutes from then, if the other team is just hot or you guys don't play well or shots don't go in, that's your career right there. So, I mean, she was – and she wasn't not talking about that. She wasn't trying to hide that fact. So, you wondered how the pressure was going to, you know – you wondered how the pressure was going to affect her, good or bad. And it certainly didn't affect her in a bad way because she came out like just banging in threes from all over the court. I think she had 15 of her 19 points in the first five minutes of the game to help them get out to a, like an 18 to four, or 19 to four lead or something like that. Yeah, really put really put Toledo in a hole that they never recovered from. So yeah, end of quarter one, 27 to 12 was the margin, mm-hmm. and at the end of the first half, uh, Jays were up 44 22 and um, smooth sailing. From there, everybody seemed to just be firing um, extremely well on all cylinders. I mean, the fact that you can just absolutely bludgeon a team like that and, you know, you only really need nine points from Audrey Faber, Lauren Works, eight points, Bree Rollerson, five points. I mean, just up and down the stat sheet, everybody contributed 47% from the field, 44% from three. They went to the line 19 t- times, made 14 of those. Um, just everything was working well for them uh, that day. And it looked like, you know, the game before the Jays played, as you mentioned, Oregon State just squeaking by in their first-round game. And so you, you thought, hey, maybe this is going to be another team uh, from the Hilltop that can make it to a Sweet 16. We've seen mm-hmm. the volleyball team do it a couple times here. And obviously soccer does it more times than not. But, um, you know, they played the home team, the Oregon State Beavers, on that Sunday. And while they while they certainly were competitive and were close throughout, they just could not get over the hump past, like, what, five, six, seven points there in the, in the second half is about as close as they could get. And uh, their season ended up in that. Up in up in the in the Pacific Northwest, kind of <laughs> break down what you saw from that game, Matt. Um, knowing that I'm sure you and Flan um, touch on that in your in your interview. Sure. Uh, yeah, I don't think it's one of those games where Creighton's gonna look back and think think they played well enough to win, and that it's one that got away from them. I mean, I think they played well enough to compete, but Oregon State just made enough plays, especially timely plays down the stretch when Creighton cut it to six in the fourth quarter um, to, you know, get the job done. It, it, you know, Creighton, I thought, did the things they needed to do as far as the main pieces they needed to take away. I don't think Sydney. I think Sydney Weiss is obviously Oregon State's stud, and she certainly had a good game, but I wouldn't say she was the reason that Creighton lost. She made some plays, but it was the, the players that Creighton was kind of counting on to – um, you know, not step up, you know, the ones that the, you know, it's funny because role players usually always play better in home environments. So it's kind of one of those situations you run into in the women's side of things because 
they do play the first two rounds at home sites. So obviously that affects the role players better when you're playing in front of your, when you're playing in front of your home crowd. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the, you know, Gabriella Hansons and the players like that for Oregon state just contributed a little too much for Creighton to get over the hump, as you said. And, you know, it's kind of tough when you try to put the whole season into perspective because losing to a team that had four losses on the season and won the Pac-12, and yeah. or I guess they Pac-12, but I mean, they're a two-seed in, in a deep league that went, I think, sent five teams to the Sweet 16 in the Pac-12, and, you know, you lose in front of a crowd like that. I don't know if you feel like that's something to be too disappointed about, but at the same time, you are disappointed because your season's over. So yeah. it was one of those, and I asked Flan that, how do you address a season like that in the locker room? You know, you won the you won your regular season title, which is, you know, a marathon and not a sprint, and one that you know isn't won by a hot team; it's won by a body of work. And then you win in a game in the NCAA tournament. Um, your only losses are to really good teams. I mean, all the injuries you went through. I mean, this wasn't uh, this was a successful season by every standard, every objective standard. But you still have to address the fact that you lost. So how do you do that? And it's it was an interesting his answer was interesting and it's certainly an interesting perspective from the players that are coming back how do they use that as motivation but also how do they but from the seniors perspective how do you feel good about what you accomplished in the moment in that moment because you're upset that it's over so sure i'm excited to get to that interview i know we have a couple questions uh that we solicited from twitter earlier today matt that we want to cover before we get to that um that feature that you did with with flans so if you're cool i'll uh i'll pull some of these up and we'll just knock some of these out ahead of that interview um again this is the blue jays bites podcast sponsored by lawler's custom sportswear matt de Moranis on the twitter hot seat or you know you can find a sponsor for that right yeah but, uh, maybe we can get twitter to sponsor it That'd hey no nah, twitter doesn't have any money right now oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um okay so our good friend jpac so a lot of people don't know jpac i'm not gonna like spill the beans on who jpac is but if he's listening jpac needs to know that when i was in seventh grade he was an assistant coach on my on my uh parochial school basketball team nice yeah so that's a good he, bit of history i know he follows women's athletics because he's always on my case when i'm um <laughs> When I'm saying the right things or the wrong things oh, yeah. about the women's side of sports, so he keeps me honest. So He's at those it. games a lot. And, um, yeah, he made me into the terrible basketball player I am today. i <laughs> 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 just kidding. Uh, so, J-Pack, he comes in hard here with a couple things. First, um, as you as you mentioned, Marissa Janning, um, when she was done in Milwaukee during the Big East Tournament on Marquette's home floor, uh, that, that didn't go exactly the way the Jays were hoping. Uh, is is Coach Flan in favor of the Big East tournament on home courts? Matt, what say you? Yeah, I think he actually is. Because um, he's mentioned this a few times over the years that he just – when you play it on a home site, no matter where it's at, I mean, I guess it really is important to be where it's at. But, like, I don't know if Butler draws. But certainly Marquette's environment was crazy. DePaul's environment was crazy last year. Um, and, you know, if Creighton's hosted the – you know, some home SBA tournament games in soccer. They've hosted Big East tournament games in volleyball. volleyball yeah. Um, 
And you see, like, just the home environment is just a uh, whether it's against you or not. I think he just likes the fact that it's a good environment to compete in. And I think that's the value he takes from it. Now, do I think Creighton loses to Marquette if that game is played uh, anywhere else, like Omaha or Chicago or you know any of the other popular Coney sites? Island? Coney Island. <laughs> do I think that game is won by Marquette in the way it was without the energy of the home crowd? No. Yeah. But you know, I just felt like Creighton is a better matchup for Marquette. But I mean. It wasn't like Creighton played poorly in that. I mean, they just, they really, and this is going to sound like a p- pathetic excuse, and I'm sure JPAC's going to jump on me about it, but yes. um, they really did have a ton of shots that were just like in and out that were really great executed plays to get good looks, especially for Audrey, you know, off of flare screens to get her open looks that Creighton, that again, Marquette had a horrible time matching up with for the third game of the season. And they just rimmed out. I mean, what are you supposed to do at that point? It's not like the offense was stagnant and that was like a hero ball shot it was a shot you're looking for and it just didn't go in so i mean i thought creighton played well enough to win that game certainly Sidney lamberty played well enough to win that entire tournament right um you know i just it 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 wasn't i don't think creighton lost that game um because it was on the road i I mean marquette certainly played better having the home crowd but i felt like they should it could have still won that game and i think to answer his overall question yes i think he likes playing in home environments i think he Enjoyed having his players play against Oregon State and Corvallis and against Marquette and Milwaukee. Um, playing against, you know, Marquette's a five seed, Oregon State's a two. Those crowds were rocking. I was there in Milwaukee. I could hear it in Corvallis um, from, you know, through the TV. So I think there's a lot of value in, in how that team played in those environments and going forward with the returning players. I don't think they'll be phased by that. So I think he likes playing at those tournament games at home venues, whether it's his or someone else's. Nice. Okay, we'll keep it on the JPAC train here, um, or the pipeline, if you will. Is Flan going and his staff going to keep the Minnesota recruiting pipeline flowing? Yes. Yeah, I think they really like what they're getting out of there. I mean, just the body of work is insane. You have Marissa Janning, uh, obviously one of the greatest to ever put on a Creighton uniform when it's all said and done. And I actually asked him this that question, too, during the interview just kind of put him on the spot about whether she is or she isn't. And I think it's going to be interesting to evaluate that in 10 years or so or 15 years down the road because I think when you have it fresh right now, you can see some of the things maybe where she, like let's say she didn't play well in Milwaukee. So that's one that's a, you know, it's a memory that's fresh in your mind. And you go, well, would the greatest player in Creighton history have that type of performance in Milwaukee? And that's in your mind. But then you see, she did early in that Oregon State game before she got in foul trouble, and she certainly looked like one of the greatest players in Creighton history then. And then I think when you look at her body of work, I mean, she's scored nineteen hundred points, had six hundred over six hundred rebounds, over five hundred assists, over a hundred steals. I mean, she's the only player in Creighton history, man or woman, to have fifteen hundred, five hundred, and five hundred. So that's in rare company. She has two regular season conference titles. Uh, she has two trips to the NCAA tournament, both where she won games. You know, she beat Syracuse as a freshman, uh, beat Toledo as a senior. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I think when you look at the body of the work as the years go by and you kind of, you know, just look at the numbers and the accolades for what they are, you know, Big East player of the year, freshman of the year in the Valley, I think you're going to see – it's going to be hard to make the argument against her being, you know, one of the top – on the Mount Rushmore of Creighton greats, if not – you know, the best of all time. So sure. 
Did I answer that question? What was that question? Oh, the Minnesota Pipeline. <laughs> <laughs> what was that question? Yeah, so, the Is Marissa start, so, yeah, so Marissa started that pipeline, and then obviously Sydney Lamberty, with the junior year she had to end the year. I mean, Creighton doesn't, Creighton doesn't wrap up a Big East Conference title without the way she performed. So they're not hanging a banner without the way she played. Uh, they don't win an NCAA tournament game without the way she played. They don't have a chance against Marquette without the numbers she put up. And I don't think that Oregon State game is close without the way she played either. So mm-hmm. uh, that's not a Minnesota kid. And she's going to go into her senior year. As, I mean, she should be uh, preseason All-Big East first team. She didn't get any recognition this year, but hopefully they'll re- remedy that mistake going into the preseason next year. And then um, they do have a Minnesota kid coming in next season. Temi Sarda is a five foot nine shooting guard from from Lakeville, Minnesota. You know, she's a good scorer, rebounder, facilitator, and you know, Flannis called her the best, one of the best defensive players he's ever recruited. Wow! Yeah, and she's a multi sport athlete. So Could in she that... play for Max team too? <laughs> five foot Sorry. nine. I don't know. I don't, just yeah, I don't know. Um, but yeah, she's a, a multi sport athlete and. Uh, you know, and then that kind of, you know, the players that play multiple sports in high school, I think, usually have pretty good success early in their college careers and are usually good at developing because they kind of have that work ethic of year-round always being active and that sort of thing. So that's one more Minnesota kid coming down the pike, and I know that, you know, the coaching staff has made plenty of trips out there this year to make more recruiting visits. So, yeah, that's one pipeline they are still working for sure. Nice. All right. Uh, JPEG has one more, and then we'll segue to another Twitter follower. Um, he says that until Bree Rollerson, the last true post player to get a lot of time, was Angie Janis about 10 years ago. Does Flan prefer true post or the stretch five? Interesting. So he doesn't think Sarah Nelson's a true post, then, I guess? I mean... I don't know. I'm just repeating what I see on Twitter. She did move. She did move further away from the basket. She did. Year as the career went on. I'll give him that. I yeah, think she, she had some good true post skills, though. I agree. Um, yeah. Um, I think he prefers just skilled, hardworking basketball players. Honestly, I don't know if it's necessarily you have to be this or that. Um, and I think he, a good example would be the way he uses. Maybe you look at the way he uses Audrey Faber. I mean, she's a she's not a back to the basket type of post, but she's a kid who can play the four or five and play the five in a small lineup. You look at Jalen Agnew, a kid who can play the three or the four in a small lineup. Sydney Lamberty can play off guard. She can play on the wing. Um, she can guard bigger players, and she can play point guard. And Marissa Janney can play point guard or off guard. I mean, I think he's he just prefers some versatility instead of just a you know one certain stuck in one position type of player. So. Sure. I'm not really sure. It just depends on. I think he would prefer a skilled person that he can kind of fit into roles. But certainly going forward next year, just in a short, just a short outlook, um, I think that small lineup that Creighton has with maybe Audrey at the five, Jalen at the four, you know, Sydney at the three, um, and then you have like a Brooke Kissinger at shooting guard and a Jade Owens at point guard. That's a that's a deadly lineup. So I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be surprised to see more small ball played next year, just depending on how things shake out, because I think that lineup was really good this year. Sure. <laughs> okay, now we switch things over to our good friend, Jacob Padilla. Jacob Padilla. 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 Godzilla. Let's call the whole thing off. Jacob Padilla. 
for Hale Varsity, uh, editor-in-chief of Nebraska High School Hoops, um, Creighton graduate, uh, just an all-around solid follow on Twitter for anybody out there. Um, he says he does not know much about the incoming class for Flan, but he thinks Creighton has to get more athletic to make the next step. Are they moving in that direction as a as a program? Everybody thinks everybody needs to get more athletic. Oh, uh, athletes, man! Everybody get more athletes. Everybody, sign, they're just sign, easy. They're just easy to find. They're find the, find the whole nation. Um, yeah. Uh, is Creighton getting more athletic next year? So I mean, you've had this. Uh, Brooke Kissinger has been a, you know, a, a transfer from Illinois who sat out this year, and I, don't, I wouldn't call her an athlete. She's a really good. She's a, she's a decent scorer and a good shooter. I think she's a candidate to have some point guard minutes next year, and certainly can play off guard. Uh, you know how she does defensively. I think is remains to be seen. Um, you know because she hasn't played any games with Creighton yet, so. But I mean, when you look at Temi Sarda, when you look at Tatum Rembao, those are two five foot nine incoming freshman kind of combo guard players, and you know they're multi sport athletes. So you know they're kind of from that Carly Tritz mold and that Jalen Agnew mold, who are obviously you know two of the best, most recent athletes that Creighton has had. Uh, so I think there's two kids coming in with with decent size on the perimeter that um, have play you know that play a lot of sports and certainly are athletic were athletic in high school, how that translates to Division One, we'll see. Um, you know, but Jalen's a top 100 freshman, and she, you know, is the biggest freshman of the year. So, you know, you have her for three more years, and she's an elite. I mean, she's an elite athlete, I think, uh, in the way she can just affect the game with altering shots, blocking shots, getting in passing lanes. She's really good at disrupting dribble penetration, too, because she's hard to get around with those long arms mm-hmm. and, you know, her speed and her quickness and, and it's funny because as a freshman, I figured she'd be more foul prone, but really, she did a really good job of making plays and being aggressive with, you know, mm-hmm. getting her hand, getting getting her hands in there and staying out of foul trouble at the same time. So, you figure that's only going to get that's only going to get better and more disruptive as the years go by when she starts developing some veteran savvy to her game. So, uh, I think Creighton will be more athletic in the future, whether that's intentional or not. You know, just from talking to the assistant coaches over the season, if you know, as far as how they want to, how they want to recruit going forward, I think there was, at some point last year, they were there was a talk about getting more junkyard mentality type of kids, just because they felt like they lost some close games that they shouldn't have lost if they maybe were a little bit tougher. But this year was the opposite of that. So, and they had the same roster, so I felt like they they're they're what they're looking for are kids that just are really devoted to the game and will put in work no matter what, whether you're losing or winning. And because that's a kid that's always going to improve and one that'll be demonstratively better as a senior than they were walking in the door as a freshman. So I think that's what they're focused on. Not necessarily the athlete versus the skill position player type of deal. Sure. Okay. And then the last one before we get to this uh, nearly hour long feature interview with women's basketball head coach Jim Flannery. When will they be retiring Rob Sims' suit and or tie into the rafters of Sokol Arena as part of the Creighton Women's Basketball Hall of Fame? Wow. The whole suit and the the whole deal, huh? It says suit or tie. I don't know like what you usually do. I I thought it was like the microphone, right, that always gets put in a box. 
and then yeah. you know attached to some wall or put in some exhibit. Um, but but Rob, for listeners at home, longtime sports information director for um, the women's basketball program, has since uh, has since his departure from Creighton been doing a lot of um, broadcasting work for. Uh, radio broadcast did a lot of Big East Digital Network stuff this year. Matt, you rub elbows, you rub shoulder to shoulder with the Rob Sims often <laughs> at Sokol Arena. Um, you know, what's your take? Is he is he anxious to get some recognition like that, or is he more of a you know fall by the wayside guy and don't talk about me? Well, I think he certainly stayed involved, so. Maybe there's something deserving there. I don't think, I don't think he'll be championing for it. But I will say, if he is, if that is a goal of his, I do know that Creighton has this big old project that they want to do for DJ Soko Arena as far as revamping all the accolades that the women's basketball team and volleyball team are kind of racking up here lately. Sure. I don't know if you've seen that video or not, but that's a pretty impressive uh, makeover they want to have at DJ Soko Arena and the Ryan Center. So if he wants to make a donation. I'm sure that they'll find a spot for the suit and tie. I, think um, I don't know. I don't know what his income is like in the you know with three little three little kids of his own. But um, yeah, if he wants to put his name in, out there, I think this is where Blue Jay Nation comes together, right? Because Rob Sims also a contributor to WhiteAndBlueReview.com. So I don't know. We'll play around with it this summer. Maybe we can figure out a way to do like a Kickstarter. Uh, GoFundMe or or something. Certainly, people have been starting GoFundMe drives for far uh, worse things. So we could um, we could probably pull something together here and see if we can yeah. get ourselves a little slice of the uh, of the local Sokol Arena renovations uh, for the one and only Rob Sims. We'll see what we can do. I bet Blue Jay Nation would come together for a little bit, something like that. At the very worst, his at the very least, his kids could like draw a picture of his suit and tie and find a spot to yeah pack kind of it to the wall or sort of thing. Or like know? we could have um, R- Ryan Holmgren who asked that question. Uh, we could have him put together like maybe like a little time capsule, and then he could come onto the grounds at Sokol Arena and not tell anybody that he's going to <laughs> dig a hole and put it somewhere. And then just Ryan would feel comfortable knowing that. The, the the legacy of Rob Sims is somewhere we'll uh, in around the building. Yeah. Okay. Time so we got, we'll we'll brainstorm it. Okay. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll spitball it. We'll figure it out. <laughs> Rest assured, Jays fans, we will take care of this very important topic. Um, no, that's all in good fun. But um, yeah, I really want to get into this interview. So Matt, I I know you've talked a little bit about it already, but is there anything you want to set up here before we hit play on this and and let everybody just listen to the the wonderful the wonderful words of of coach flan man i think it just speaks for itself honestly the whole thing took about 90 minutes to do because there were some off the record conversations and some on the record stuff so but flan is great with his time um you know he'll close the door and talk to you all day if you have time for it so i think i don't think we plan on talking for 50 minutes on the record but it just kind of you know, I didn't have a lot of questions. I had some, you know, basic talking points and about this season, about next season. We talk a little bit about Dana and the Ducks because it's funny. I had to postpone 
the interview originally for set for Friday, and I'm glad that I did because when I talked to him on Monday, Dana had obviously beaten Kansas, and um, they were headed to the Final Four. And you know, Flan and them used to share a locker room over at the old gym back when they were back when they were building these crate <laughs> programs. You know, all these flashy arenas and everything like that. It never used to be. Um, so yeah, they used to like coordinate practice times around each other and chit chat in the locker room about how on about how bad their good teams were doing and yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, all those sorts of things. So he has some good stories about Dana and kind of being Mr. Pessimistic all the time and it's pretty funny. See, it pays it. off, man. I can yeah, be pessimistic and make a Final Four maybe. Not yeah, I mean, as long as you're not canning coaches every year, I think you'll be all right. Uh, all right. So, uh, yeah, it's it's just good stuff. Flannered his best. 50, right. minutes, 50 minutes of Jim Flannery. That's the headline for tonight's episode, 50 minutes of Jim Flannery. So without <laughs> go. further ado, this is Matt DeMoranis interviewing Creighton women's basketball head coach Jim Flannery on the Blue Jays Bites podcast, sponsored by Lawler's Custom Sportswear. Joined once again, happy to be joined once again, probably for the final time in a while, because we're going to put a bow on this wonderful season of yours. Um, Jim Flannery, head coach of the Creighton women's basketball team, fresh off a, what, two in, what do we call it, two in barbecue? NCAA <laughs> tournament, you got one win, and... Yeah. Lost to Oregon State in the sweet in the second round, round of thirty-two. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess first of all, congratulations on the NCAA tournament run. I know you guys played like probably one of your best games of the year against Toledo. What I mean, just give me a sense of the locker room before that. Did you have to give a good rah-rah speech, or did you feel like the team was pretty locked in and pretty prepared for what they were about to walk into? Well, I think yeah. I first of all, thanks. Um, but. Yeah, I think that the, kind of the message I had given them really going into the postseason, even the conference tournament, but also going into Toledo, into Toledo, is that the the hard work was done. You know, you guys have you guys have have made yourself into a basketball team capable of of competing and and responding to whatever the first part of the game was gonna was was gonna give to you. And if, I said, if we go out and make shots. Um, early, uh, or, I'm sorry. I actually said if we go out, and we don't make shots early. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to remember that we're still a really good basketball team, and we've been in that spot time after time again. So we're we're still going to be a really good basketball team. You know, five minutes into the game or after the first quarter, if we haven't played well. Um, and then I said, secondly, if we do, if conversely, if we're that team that goes out and plays really well early. And make shots and gets a lead and is playing with confidence. You got to understand that they're a really good basketball team. They've won a lot of games. They they understand how to win. They're here for a reason too. So, just just kind of trying to get at them to understand that the start wasn't um, wasn't going to determine the outcome. And yet, then with with the start that we had, yeah. <laughs> it was instrumental. But again, part of that is I think you know I wanted to take some pressure off them in case we didn't start well, but also just keep them focused in, in the event that we did, which we did. So um, just, just to me, just kind of take some pressure off by not, by not getting them to think that the, the start of the game was any more important than any other part of the game. That's interesting because it sounds like you were prepared to coach them through some jitters. Mm-hmm. You didn't experience that, so you had, to coach, you had to adjust and coach them through how to finish that game. When did it become a point where you were like, okay, 
we have a pretty comfortable lead here, but there's enough time where this could go south if we get complacent, you know, stop moving, stop moving the ball, take bad shots, don't close out defensively. Like, when did you start worrying about the details of the game that could possibly lead to a collapse versus once you kind of got over the hot start and were in a good position to, you yeah. know, pretty much run the game out? Yeah, well, I th- first of all, we really didn't. I mean, the, the only time where we really were threatened was early in the third quarter. Yeah. We came out and, and scored the first six on three possessions. Um, but we didn't have we didn't really have any letdowns in the first half. I mean, mm-hmm. we had a we had a couple turnovers, a couple loose turnovers, I think, in the second quarter. But but again, we jumped right back, and you know, we ended the second quarter really strong, and had you know, we had a basket taken away that was just after the buzzer. Yep. But I think we led by still led by twenty two, mm-hmm. maybe at the break, and then you know they came out and executed. They ran a a middle ball screen the first couple possessions, and then they threw it into the post again, and and scored the first three of the second half uh, to get it to 16. And, and then we we called timeout because I felt like, you know, I did I don't like to call timeouts um, two minutes into a quarter or whatever, but mm-hmm. I felt like the lead was still good enough that, that, that potentially we weren't going to be in a, in a one or two possession game at the end of the game. So I, I, I kind of went against what I normally do and called a timeout, and I said, during that timeout, I said, I, I think if I would have told you guys that we were going to be up 16 two minutes in a minute and a half to two minutes in the second half uh, an hour ago, that you'd have been okay with that, right? So, so we're still, still in really playing good shape. it loose then, all right. So okay. we're still in really good shape. And then Sid hit a really tough shot off, mm-hmm. of, off of, I think it was an out-of-bounds play, and then she hit a three, and then boom, it was right back up to 21. And, and then I felt like we, we loosened back up again. Because I think it is, you know, when you lose – whether you have the momentum going into the timeout or going into the halftime, you can lose that based on well. There's 15 minutes where you're <laughs> you're not playing, and and and. Uh, but I thought we recaptured momentum right away, and then and then by the end of the third quarter, you're saying, okay, how do I get people the rest that I want to get um, based on the fact that we we're gonna have to play again in 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 less than 48 hours. So really, I probably about with three minutes left. Two to three minutes left in the third quarter, I was already thinking about okay, how, who needs, to, who do we need to rest the most okay. to make sure that we're ready for um, Sunday? Because we 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 were up about twenty five, and I felt like, um, you know, we at that point too. I Toledo's like, not built like that way, to, right? And yeah. I feel like defensively, your team know, you know, first of all, we had the week to prepare for them, so I felt like even though we were a different team, we were pretty well prepared defensively. But then I also felt like. Our kids had had seen enough in the game that we would we could guard them. You know, nothing they were going to do offensively was going to surprise us. So, the idea that they were going to go on a 15-0 run in three minutes was was not likely. likely. <laughs> Fair. Uh, Marissa obviously beat herself up pretty bad after the Big East tournament. Um, she did use the word regret, so it is the right word to use. Uh, you know, she kind of regrets not leaving it all out there. I mean, I think the way she described it was she kind of just panicked a little bit. I don't know if, you know, what got into her mind or whatever, but she obviously wasn't the same player in that whole weekend. Um, mm-hmm. And she obviously knew that going to the tournament, that's there's some finality to that because, you know, you're going into it feeling pretty good, but 40 minutes later your career might be over. And she came out. Like, she knew that, and, like, she didn't want to go out the way she felt in Milwaukee. Did you right. sense 
leading up in the week, you know, before that game, and then that she was capable of one more streaky Marissa-type burst like that to kind of make sure she ended on a high note and left Milwaukee in the rearview mirror? Well, I, I certainly hope that she could do that, but, you know, I think when a player loses confidence, which I think, you know, I think Marissa did play with, you know, way less confidence in Milwaukee than I thought she would mm-hmm. and could. Um, and we had a conversation. I did, you know, we, we after Milwaukee, they <coughs> went home, we, they took a, you know, we had a few days off and we came back. And I, I didn't, you know, I didn't feel like she was, is ready to go, to be honest, the first practice back, but mm-hmm. I think she was still kind of um, had a little bit of a hangover from how she had played. And, and so after the next, I think that was Saturday, and then Sunday she was better, and we, we had a conversation. And, um, you know, I just said, look, you got to control the things that you can control, and you're not shooting the three well. Okay, that's fine. But there are some areas where you can't, you have a greater control o- over your performance. I said, you know, and I just showed her a couple clips on film where, you know, she's cutting, but she's not cutting with a purpose. And mm-hmm. I said, you know, look, if you, cut, if you cut with purpose here and get yourself a layup, well, then the next time you get a, a jumper or a three, an open three, you're going to be a little more, more confident. But you're, you're, you're wasting opportunities uh, to make good plays because probably because you're just a little bit into how you're shooting the ball. I said, you know, offensive, offensive rebounding is an area where you can always, you know, so I talked to her about a, a few areas where she can be, where she has a little bit more control and that those ought to be her focus rather than is the ball going in. So, and, and I felt like she practiced, she, but she practiced well then after that. I felt like she was, um, but I didn't necessarily think she'd come out and make make the number of plays offensively that she did. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad she did, but but we've been a team all year that's sometimes, that's been a different player on different nights. It's not, yeah. it's, it, it was, it wasn't, it, will, it was not any more surprising that it was Marissa than anybody else, but um, you know, in some ways, I think it was it was potentially, like you said, it was it was I, I got to make up for Milwaukee. Yeah. <laughs> but but also sometimes you know it's just as an athlete, you make one shot, it's easier to make the second. You make the second, it's easier to make the third. So sometimes it's just seeing that ball go in the first time. I think you could say that about other players too. Was the energy would was. Well, was her performance, did her performance affect the energy of the team? Because, I mean, you guys aren't reliant on one player. I mean, that's been the story of your whole season is that Audrey could score two and you win by double digits, and next night Marissa, Marissa could score three and still win by double digits. Like, you guys have had mm-hmm. different players step up and still win by the same margin. But, I mean, when I'm looking at, when I was going back and looking at your, your kind of games where it was pretty much over to the third quarter, They've been games where Marissa has gone off, you know, and there weren't yeah. a ton of those this year, but there were a few. You know, Butler's one of them, Nebraska's one of them, Toledo is another one. Like, when she, you know, kind of goes off and shows you that, like, freshman, sophomore version of her where she's just banging shots in from all over the court, is like, does that affect everybody else? Like, okay, Marissa's right, we got this type of deal. Like, do you feel like that puts you guys in a pretty good groove? Yeah, and I think it just I think it just lessens the pressure on everybody else and makes us a, you know it it maybe shifts some emphasis away from you know, emphasis away from Audrey or Sid or or Jalen or Warren. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean I I definitely think there's there's something to that, but at the same time, you know I sometimes it is just about 
moving the ball and 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 I think we're I think we're a reasonably tough matchup for yeah. people that haven't ever seen us. And I think that's a little bit what happened at Toledo is is we we got we made ten threes and and I think Toledo's a good defensive team. I don't think it's that they're not a good defensive team. I just think we're we're different than most teams in terms of what we do and how we can kind of stretch you out and, and like you said, Marissa making shots I think was was huge early. And I think, you know, maybe they have they had probably a little bit of stage fright and and then all of a sudden they look up and they're down ten or twelve and and you know That's that proverbial that's avalanche right there as well. Yeah, and so but I do think that when Marissa made shots we could we were we we could be really good. Mm-hmm. Um take me through the Oregon State game. I mean I I know you're probably watching that that Long Beach game and thinking <laughs> man is the first fifteen two upset gonna happen and kind of maybe open the door for us to have a you know, maybe be the favorites in round of thirty two heading right. to a sweet sixteen possibly, but um I guess what were your impressions of Oregon State and um you obviously know that it's gonna be kind of a low possession game that they're gonna control things, but that they're very efficient mm-hmm. and they can guard people. Right. I mean what were your how good were you feeling going into that game as far as your chances considering you're facing it's essentially a true road game. Right. You know, and all the things that were kind of you know, working against you as far as winning that thing. Right. Well, it, it, you know, people have said, well, did it, did it hurt you that, that Long Beach played them so closely? And, and maybe it did because it, it maybe forced them to be a little bit more. I thought, I thought they guarded better than maybe I had hoped that they would guard us. Okay. Um, but I thought it was a good matchup from the standpoint that they're not a high-possession team, and so I felt like we could keep it close. And I always feel like when you keep it close and you're the underdog, the pressure goes to the favorite. and. Mm-hmm. And you know they're not a team that's going to get to eighty or ninety, and and then the other factor was I felt like we could, I felt like we could help post to post more than a lot of teams did on film. Like we, we were going to live with their their fours or fives, shooting fifteen, sixteen footers away from the basket and really help on the post. And I felt like even as good as Sydney Weiss is, she's she's not a three or four speed player. She's if you're disciplined, you can guard her. And we proved that. And she's left-handed too, right? Yeah. So you guys are used to guarding right. her because you guard Marissa every day in right. practice, right? Did that make kind right. of the scout right. a little and more just, familiar? And just, you know, I felt like there were enough things we could do defensively. And then offensively, I knew it would be tough to score. I felt like we had to score from the four spot. I felt like there, that our biggest advantage was Audrey and Jalen being chased around by either a 6'3 or a 6'5 kid. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that was the that was the area where we really needed to be – you know, take advantage. And, and you know, Audrey and Jalen got 20 shots between them. Um, you know, we just, you know, and, and again, they were, they were doing everything they could, but we needed them to make more than five based on based on who was guarding them. And, and I, again, I thought or those kids, those the 6'3 and 6'5 kid that guarded them did a good job. I think they did a better job than I had hoped they could do. Sure. But we still missed open shots. I mean, we still didn't get enough um, – from that position offensively to kind of make up for the fact that they are disciplined defensively and and uh, did some good things, but uh, you know, and they, and they played from the lead the whole time, which didn't didn't help. Uh, so even though we never really lost touch, we never quite were in a position to put as much pressure on them as, mm-hmm. as we had hoped. And um, you know, I, I felt like we played okay. I didn't feel like we played probably well enough to win oh, really? uh, against a team like that on the road. I mean, okay. Sydney played terrifically. I mean, she was she was really good down the stretch of, 
of the season and in that game I thought she just you know she was the best player on the floor mm -hmm. I thought and um, no turnovers and 19 points and um, typical Sydney yeah but we just you know to be honest we didn't make enough other shot you know um, and in and, and the end of the first half Curtis I mm -hmm. uh, we're down seven with Give a bad with foul. 50 yeah. seconds left and they hit a three and then we had we should have had the last shot and we probably shot it or Audrey drove it and stepped out of bounds too early and then we gave up two free throws so you know the lead went from seven to 12 mm -hmm. at the in the last 45 seconds 45 50 seconds of the half and that was I thought a real kind of a, a downer because if you're down seven or eight or nine it's it's a different if it's it's a different little different feel going into halftime and coming out of halftime when you guys cut it to six in the fourth quarter they called that time out there and it looked like the things were starting to swing because Sydney was kind of getting on a really good on a roll there um, and it didn't look like they had an answer for her. What was the strategy for how to finish that one out? Obviously, we know that they eventually executed what they needed to execute to win the game, but you had to feel pretty good about your chances in a six-point game with as much. I think there was about four minutes left, maybe. Yeah, there were actually six, six and a half, I think. Okay. It was before the five-minute mark. So there were enough possessions left where if you guys yeah. got some good looks, you could put a lot of pressure on them. Was that kind of what the mentality was? Like, look, keep moving, yeah. keep finding each other and... Yeah, it was kind of to keep putting the ball in Sydney's hand a little bit, and then oh, okay. you know, and then also just you know try to shake Audrey or or Jalen for a three. Um, and we we ran a couple uh, variations of a horn set. We we kind of put it in on the fly based on we have that set, but we kind of changed a couple things that we do out of it just to just be just based on how they were playing and trying to shake those guys free for a three. Um, and Audrey had a wide open three in transition that they didn't find her, mm -hmm. um, didn't go in, and and then you know they hit one tough shot on a on a on a left hand drive, really tough shot, um, and then we had a we had a defensive rebound down eight with about three and a half or three forty five to go, and Bree turned it over on an outlet pass, and that was I thought a killer because they yeah. scored right away to push it back to ten, or as we, you know, we had it at eight with a chance to to cut into it again. So, um, you know, again, I mean, we had it to a position where I think if we could have gotten one or two more stops at that point, we would have been fine. But, um, you know, to their credit and, and their crowd's sure. credit, they they executed and they and they finished some plays there to kind of keep us keep us away. So, uh, you know, you, get, you guys put out the pregame speech for that game and it seems like you guys were <clears> – <throat> It was, you weren't overconfident. You certainly weren't going in there thinking, right. thinking, you're, you know, it's a foregone conclusion that you're in the space you've seen if you do what you do. But it was a little bit different than the Tennessee pregame speech where you guys knew you had an uphill battle, yeah. um, considering who you're facing, where you're facing them, and that sort of deal. But so the Oregon State one was a little bit more different in that you guys were going with a little bit more swagger, a little bit more confidence. What did you say to them afterwards? Because it wasn't something. To where, like you said, it wasn't necessarily a game that you didn't get blown out, right. but you, like you said, you weren't necessarily in a position to ever put enough pressure on them in the end to win it. But you also played well enough in a hostile environment to have some kind of pride over what you did that weekend and what you did that season. Like, what? Did, how did you kind of address all of that? What? How did you? Sure. How did you bake that cake and tell them <laughs> and tell them that yeah. you know, good job, even though you lost. Like, right. Well, I usually in the last. In the last, you know, there's conference, you know, if you lose in the conference tournament, you kind of have a, a script you need to 
turn two. And then, right. and then you've got an end of the year one. And I try to make, not make the end of the year one too much about the one game. I said, you know, we, I said we played we played well enough in a lot of cases, but we probably didn't probably didn't do enough. But I said it does, you know. Um, I made it more about uh, just how much this team was enjoyable to coach, and and I made it about you know I tried to connect what the, who they are as people with what they were able to accomplish on the in, in the sports world, and and I said good you know teams with 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 as many good people as we have and, and treat people the right way every day are. Are, are going to be more prone to success than than teams that don't treat each other the right way and don't you know don't pull in the same direction the way this team pulled in the same direction the whole time it's, mm-hmm. you know the old nice guys nice guys can finish first and sure. I think that's and I said you're you know as you go through life you'll and you look back you'll be able to connect who you are as a person with how much success you had on this particular bat you know on this particular basketball team and in this particular program because I said that's a big part of why this team was successful was not not just the pieces that we have but the way the pieces fit together and the way the pieces fit together is a is a choice that they make to to be the kind of teammates that they want to be every day and I said you you know when you get out and you you get a little further away you know it might be months it might be years you'll be able to reflect on how who you are affected what you were able to accomplish, and and I said that's going to be, that's going to be a neat piece of, of how you, how you look at this season, especially for the seniors, obviously, but but even for underclassmen. And then I talked about just how, you know, how much the seniors had kind of raised the bar for what what expectations can be within this program, because I think that's a, you know, you always kind of want to set the table for next year, mm-hmm. um, kind of as early as you can, and then I open it up and. And, and let um, the players talk and, and you know underclassmen seniors and so a few of them spoke and a couple of the underclassmen thanked the seniors and, and talked about how they they respected how how much the you know how, how much they respected what the expectations were and how, how high they set the bar and then some seniors thanked the underclassmen about in terms of you know how how much fun it was to, to be able to play on this team. I want to ask you about the team first, and then we'll get into some individual evaluations. Um, I put you on the spot softly a couple weeks ago. <laughs> but now that if there's some finality to it where you can evaluate um, and compare, is this the best team you've ever coached at Creighton as a <laughs> head coach or an assistant? Uh, I would say I would say yes. I don't... Um, and, and and you you got to I'll just say as a head coach because okay. I don't want to I don't want to slight anything that we you know plus the nineties are too far <laughs> too far <laughs> removed I I can't remember how good we were back then Matt right <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and and I'll tell you why because I think I felt more comfortable going into games that that we that we could win than any team that I've ever coached and that's not a knock on any other team but I felt I felt going into every game. Like we had a great chance to win based on not just like I said, not just the pieces that we were putting out there, but the way we fit together and the the fact that we, you know, sure we had some weaknesses, but we 
um, but we had probably more ways to win than most than, than any team I've ever coached. We could, we could we didn't have to make as many threes as some teams that we've played in the past, or we mm-hmm. didn't have to force as many turnovers, or we didn't have we didn't have to play a certain style or or get the game to a certain pace. We could, we could win in the seventies. We could win in the fifties. Um, we could, like you said earlier, we could win with Marissa scoring three points or Audrey scoring four points. Um, and so I think the balance that this team had and the ability to to kind of stay composed in tight games was maybe greater. Um, and I'm not, but but I also think you know I'm. I don't know. I, I I'd like to think I can help more too, like at the end of games, than I could, you know, in my first few years of. Of coaching, so if I look back at that NIT WNIT championship team, I think uh-huh. you know, I I would like to think that if I that if I had that team in the, you know in year fifteen that we would have been an NCAA tournament team. You know, yeah, yeah, you, just, yeah. you just feel you just feel like you're more equipped to maybe figure out a way or two, and and just you know, so our staff is great. They, you know, I think having the continuity of staff that we have helps me in games, but it also helps our players in games. It calms them, and it and and the and the consistency in player development. I think when you have a staff that's been together, players develop. You know, and I mean Lauren works to be where to be the contributor that she was this year. Um, is is obviously a testament to her work ethic and her heart, but it's also a testament to how much. That our staff has worked with her to make her better, and and Bree the same thing. Her her improvement is 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 a credit to her, but it's a credit to our staff. Her you know we, we you know she was the most improved player in the league, partly because she was maybe hurt last year. But, <laughs> yeah. but you know I yeah. think that's a big I think that's a big piece is that we've we've done a good. But you've job had that a few times now. Yeah, Alexis yeah. won it a, a couple of years ago or three years ago. So I do think it's I do think. You know, and I'm not saying we were a lot better than any team I've ever coached. I uh-huh. don't think that's the case at all. But I do think, I do believe that from a, okay, we're going into this game, I'll take this team probably over any team because I don't think we had maybe, I, I just think we had more ways to win and more more ways to win close games than, than any team that we've had in the past because we've had more, we have more players that can, that can step up at the end of the game too. Uh, Marissa is the only player, man or woman, you know, men's basketball, women's basketball, who's had 1,500, 500, 500. That's like a milestone that a lot of women, not all, I mean, UConn women have only done that. I think only three UConn women players have ever done that right. in their history, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, statistically, there's a solid argument that we might have just watched the best women's basketball player in Creighton history, but I mean, you know, you got the three-point line and things like that, different eras and sure. all of that. Like, where do you think you would place her? Because it's so funny. We've talked about, like, so many times where she's fought confidence issues and, you know, where she's n- not been, uh, I guess, selfish is the wrong word, but shot-ready or, like, aggressive yeah. enough to take shots that or be the scorer that she is capable of being. But at the same time, she's been productive every single year. I mean, she's she won the Big East Player of the Year. She won Freshman of the Year in the Valley. Like... Her accolades are right. When a conference title as a freshman, one as a senior, two NCAA tournament wins. Like if you just stack up the resume, 
Right. You know, it's hard to. It's going to be hard in ten years down the line when we don't remember the confidence stuff and we just look right. at her body of work right. to make an argument against her right. as the best player that's ever played here. Where do you think she falls in, and what do you think made her so great when she was when the switch was on when she was just yeah. you know at her peak. Well, in some ways, she's a victim of how well she played early in the career because yeah. you set you set the bar even higher and and. You know, the truth is she's, what, five, seven and a half, and, <laughs> you know, not the strongest kid I've ever coached. But, uh, <coughs> you know, the thing, the thing, one of the things that I I think that can be overlooked is just how she had to kind of change with, with each team. And, you know, so her sophomore year when she was player of the year, you know, we really had three kids that could score it that year, Mackenzie and, and Sarah Nelson and, and Marissa, and those guys had to be, on a lot, and mm-hmm. she was, <laughs> um, and you know we played her. We you know we played her on the ball a lot. We played her off the ball a lot, and she, you know, she didn't fight any of the any of the changes that we made. You know, we played her off the ball more this year, um, and uh, you know, so I, I just I just value that she that she wasn't ever resistant to wanting to be. The player that she wanted to be, but she was more, she was she was more willing to be what we needed her to be than than maybe people would think, and I think that's a, and and in the end when we, when we had the success that we had this year, that's that's a reflection of of, of her willing to, to do what it what we needed her to do. But you know the 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 other things that I think get get overlooked a little bit with her are that she was a, she was an outstanding guard rebounder. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she averaged probably five-ish uh, for a couple different years. And, you know, I think one, one game at Butler, she had 15 or 16 rebounds. Uh, with, All defensive, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, <coughs> and, and you know, what she could do defensively to guard, you know, another team's best player. And, um, you know, because she was, um, is one of the quicker kids we've ever had, and she's in, in great shape. So I think... It's easy to look at the points and the, and even the assist, but but I think you can kind of gloss over what she did as, as a rebounder, um, and as a and as a defender, and as someone who was willing to, you know, play more as a scorer or more as a point guard, sometimes game to game based on okay we, you know let's let's play Sydney on the ball more this game, let's play Marissa on the ball more this game, and um, and I think that's that's gonna you know that translates into wins and 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 so that's going to be part of how you identify where she is in the pantheon of of Mm -hmm. basketball grades but certainly i think you know as far as like if you if you could you know other than three-point shooting this year you know she didn't really have a hole in her game i mean she Mm -hmm. um so you know and and you know your other point is you know we've we had bookend NCA tournament wins her freshman and senior years, and, and we were really strong NIT teams those other years. So um, she played on good teams and made those teams um, better than they would have been certainly without her. Uh, we're going to take a roller coaster ride here because this is going to seem kind of negative, but um, Audrey's a kid who she's a kid that you can see see if she's happy with her performance or not because she kind of wears it on her sleeve. Yeah. Um, how much is she going to beat herself over the Cincinnati tournament? I mean, I didn't think she played poorly, but...
but I know she's going to look at the shot percentages and be upset with it. Like, how much has she been beating herself up over, you know, how many shots rimmed in and out from Milwaukee to to Corvallis and things like that, and wondering what if. I mean... Well, you, you're you're in you're in here doing this interview about, about two days too early because we have individ, individual meetings <laughs> this week. So, and that's one of the questions that I'm going to ask her is, we, you know, how how are you going forward? How are you going to maybe um, manage that a little bit better when you when you don't make shots because you do wear it a little too much. Mm-hmm. And I, I I love coaching Audrey like cause she's a, yeah. she's an easy kid to coach because she's competitive and she wants to win and she's you know, she's willing to do the thing. She wants to be a better player. She's willing to do the things that are necessary to improve. But the one area where she can probably, um, you know, make a little bit of a jump going into next year is just, okay, when I'm not making shots, you know, like you said, don't wear it. Don't wear it quite so heavily on your sure. on your face and in your body. And I think if she can do that, she'll, she'll make a jump as a player. Because you're right, she had a lot of. I mean, Milwaukee, she had a lot of shots going in and out. It wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, and 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 at Oregon State, like the shots she took were shots we needed her to take. We yeah. needed her to, we needed her to shoot the ball, um, in those cases, and so drag posts away from the yeah, basket. and so, you know, I think she just has to understand that that's we're gonna live with that. We're, you know, if we have to die with it, we're that's fine. But we're gonna live with it. We're gonna live with her shooting. Shooting those shots in the same way that we would live with any of the kids. Because if she doesn't, you're trust. definitely gonna lose. Yeah, yeah like yeah, and, and uh, you know, so uh, you know, I, I'll be I'll be interested to talk to her and just kind of push her toward being a little bit more understanding of of one. If we need you to do that, we need you to do that. Yeah. <laughs> and two, there's always uh, there's always a little bit more of an opportunity to affect games elsewhere. You know. She needs to become a better offensive rebounder. You know, she needs to get one, one more offensive rebound a game where maybe she can get that layup, and now, now that seven, next seventeen footer or three point shot is a little bit easier to make, and and uh, you know, and even you know, sometimes if you if you're not making shots, just you know, her defensive, not her intensity, but maybe her attention to what she needs to do defensively falls off a little bit based on I've missed. Two or three shots in a row, so that's that's the, that's the progression she needs to make. But we're, like I said, she's easy to coach, and I I like coaching her because I know she wants to be good. And mm-hmm. um, you'd rather have a kid who maybe is a little bit too hard on herself than a kid who gives herself a pass when she doesn't play well. This is going to be a a simple question with a probably complicated answer. Um, where does this team end? How does the ending for this team look if Sydney Lamberty doesn't do what she did like those last ten games? If she's not anywhere near a you know an efficient double digit scorer, you know uh, one the best rebounder yeah. on the team, the best playmaker on the team. I mean, she was in all phases of those in those three phases that yeah. you know everybody like points, rebounds, assists, like low turnovers. I mean, she was as good as she's been in her entire career in the most important time when you needed it. Yeah. How does the how I mean? Yeah. How do you think it looks if it, if she isn't that? I mean, how important was her? Yeah. The right way she raised her game this this short well, down the stretch. Well, if she doesn't, we're probably we we'd either have just squeaked into the NCAA tournament or we'd be in the NIT. I yeah. Think there's, um, because we we still would have won enough, some games, but we wouldn't have been 
the team that we were. Uh, she played, yeah, I'm going to, again, th that'll be a question for, she, you know, she's my first individual meeting tomorrow. And, nice. You know, part of it will be, what, Sid, what, what, what was different for you late in the year? What, what, what did you change? What, and, and how, do you, how do you get there for a full season yeah. <laughs> next year? Because we, we want you there for a full season. Right. But, you know, I don't know. I mean, she just, she did have a different confidence level. And, um, God, it was fun to see. I mean, she's, you know, she's just, even though she's kind of a one-speed player, like, she gets away with it. She just, and having the ball in her hands as much as we did late in the season was, was pretty comforting because of the <laughs> decisions that she was making and and also not running away from her shot. I mean, she's she's not a kid that needs to make, you know, that needs half of her shots to be threes, but she can't run away from open threes. And I think when she struggles are the times where she'll run away from an open three um, and 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 make a play a lot harder. Mm -hmm. I don't mind her I don't mind her <coughs> not oh, settling me. and occasionally passing up a a three to make a better play, but I think when she struggles, it's she she gets too she she runs away from the three point line too much. Um, but you know, two and a half assist to one turnover ratio, or more than two and a half to one, probably two point six, I think this year, and 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 got you know is, is a very you know we nominated her for all for the defensive player of the year. I knew she wouldn't win it because she's not flashy enough. But yeah, she's, she's super solid defensively, and then. Like you said, the other area I think that, that she got better was rebounding both at both ends. Like she made some plays um, that way. I think she's gotten you know she has she, long arms. Yeah, and she's you know she has she's you know by virtue of the injury she probably played more minutes than we thought she would. I think yeah. she got in great shape. You know, not that she hasn't been in good shape before, but I think she knew she had to be in great shape, and so that, that typically is is worth another rebounder to a game. And I thought that was an area where sometimes she'll look tired and, the, you know, we'll, we'll be like, Sydney needs a break, Sydney needs a break, but then she'll go make a play or go get a rebound, you know, and yeah. they're like, nah, she doesn't need a break. Yeah. She's um, taking it already. Yeah, yeah. so, I, I yeah, I just love the way she played at the end of the year and hopefully she comes comes into the offseason because she'll be a leader for us in the offseason. Yeah. We, we need her to be a little bit more vocal than she has ever been, right? Yeah, and, and I think if she does that, uh, her confidence in her game will be even better next year. Um, how, she's unique in the fact that she's really had pretty good poise. Even as a true freshman, she had really good poise. I mean, I felt, yeah. I felt like in big situations, she was, you know, sometimes I thought she was the only person who had it together mentally, right. like when the rest of them were kind of, you know, right. in panic mode. I, I mean, have you ever coached a player who's just... Like it's, it was funny watching the first couple of practices when she was a freshman, because yeah. you didn't think she was yeah. engaged, but that was just her, right. you know, being a calming presence throughout the whole thing mm -hmm. and not making too much of anything. Mm -hmm. And it was actually a strength of hers where you thought it was like, right. why isn't this kid showing more, oh, yeah. more passion? But I mean, have you ever coached you a kid who's? <laughs> she have you ever coached a kid who's just been like a steady Eddie for yeah. forty minutes, no matter if you're down five with thirty to go or. Up five with thirty to go. Like yeah. she doesn't seem like a different player at any point in the game. No, she's that's what you, that's what you like about her. I think she is. I I kind of term term her a flatliner because she's not. She doesn't get too high. And I I remember, you know, one of the practices you're talking about was you know 
her freshman year before we scrimmaged at Iowa, and I screamed at her because she wouldn't talk enough. And mm-hmm. I was like, how am I going to play you against Iowa if you won't if you won't talk at the level that I need you to talk. And she, you know, she was horrified probably. Cause yeah. Probably the worst I'd yelled <coughs> worst up to then I'd yelled at her and the worst since then. But I do remember then, because it wasn't long before the Iowa scrimmage, I, uh, when I penciled in what kind of what I wanted to do from a rotation standpoint at Iowa in our, in our scrimmage, I, I penciled in that if it's a close game, I was going to put it, I was going to trust her at the end of the game because I felt like maybe that was, something that, that, that she could do because she is, you know, she comes across as so, is sometimes almost detached, like, ah, mm-hmm. I'm just, so I kind of said, okay, if it's close, I'm going to try her because I think maybe that's what I'm missing about her. And so, and then coming out of that, after after that, kind of got forced to play her a little at the end of the, our second game at South Dakota State because we had foul trouble. Right. Marissa had fouled out and Alexis had fouled out and, and, uh, you know, it was our second game, and I was like, okay, here, here you go, too. Sydney. Yeah, I'm yeah. out, you know, you go, see. <laughs> and, and, uh, and she played great in, mm-hmm. in, in a really tough environment it, it, down the stretch. And to your point, like, she played with such poise, and I'm like, okay, I missed on this kid. <laughs> Three weeks ago, I thought that, I thought that her lack, you know, her lack of emotion was a weakness and, and now I'm kind of seeing that her lack of emotion is strength. Right. It's, it's, it's about being steady and trustworthy and, and just po- poise versus, okay, she's not Warren Works, everything is, you know, everything every day is sunshine. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, but it's, it's, it's somebody who can, who can really focus when focus is needed. Um, we're going to switch gears a little bit here because uh, I'm actually glad. We were supposed to do this interview. This is for the folks that are listening here. Uh, we are supposed to do this interview last Friday, and I had to postpone it, and I'm glad I did because a former colleague of yours had a pretty big weekend, or uh, two former colleagues of yours had a pretty big weekend down in Kansas City with uh, the Ducks going to the Final Four, um, beating Kansas, beating Bill Self, you know, in front of what? How did Dana yeah. put it? 18,000 of their fans, <laughs> 600 of theirs. Uh, I guess what was your, first of all, what was your read on that matchup going in? Because, I mean, it felt like most people thought Oregon had to be near flawless to win yeah. in that environment against that team. How did you think that matchup was, how did you play that matchup out in your head as you were kind of thinking about that going into the game? Yeah, well, I, I agree with you. Like, and, and Kansas had played great, Yeah. you know, going into that, especially, I think, in second halves and, um, you know, their score against Purdue, I mean, Purdue's a pretty good team, and they beat them by <laughs> about 30. Um, so, and, and you look at Oregon, they, you know, struggled to beat a good Rhode Island team and then um, sneaked by, who did they sneak by in the Sweet 16? Uh, Michigan. Michigan, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you certainly felt like Kansas probably was, was likely to win, but I, at the same time, Dana's, Teams are they're tough minded and they're and they're confident. I think you know if you watch Dylan Brooks play, that kid doesn't lack confidence. No. And neither does Tyler Dorsey. And um, <coughs> and I thought that they those two. The ability of those two to make shots is just really impressive and just to, uh, to go get a shot. Uh, but and and you know I know losing Boucher kind of a lot of people talked about how that you know maybe took them out of Final Four consideration, but. They still had Bell as a shot blocker, and 
and and really did I thought a great job defensively on Kansas mm-hmm. funnel you know knocking them off the three point line and then relying on Bell to 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 block shots so it was I was I was really happy for for both Dana and Kevin McKenna who's was here and is on their staff and they've obviously done a, a remarkable job at Oregon I remember when they were hired and if you got online and read things it's like oh he was their fifth choice or their seventh choice or mm-hmm. you know he's you know and I'll, I'll bet uh, <laughs> I'll bet Duck fans are, are glad that they uh, that they got Dana that they got enough nose to get to Dana yeah yeah and, and uh, you know it, it's funny because Dana's not flashy and he's at the he's probably at the flashiest school <laughs> right. so it doesn't kind of still doesn't really sit you know I know Dana doesn't know what what uniform they're gonna you know he doesn't care what uniform they're gonna they're going to pull out game to game, and he's probably, you know, he was comfortable having his team eat pregame at Arby's <laughs> uh, back in the day. Uh, there's good stories about when he was at Kansas State and, um, you know, when they beat they beat Oklahoma one time and he he told somebody to give, him, give the kids one extra dollar for their postgame meal at <laughs> 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 whatever fast food restaurant they were going in, but... Uh, I'm I'm real happy for him. I mean, to to, to get to do that. I mean, that's a really neat uh, for both Kevin and Dana to to get that opportunity. Uh, um, is is cool. So we were talking before we come on here that he's notorious for certain things. I guess first of all, how 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 cool is it to see like Oregon's kind of branding him? Yeah. And you know their warm up shirts have altmanisms on them, like every game. Like you see the bend your knees T shirts, yeah. make your throws. Like yeah. Like how cool is that to see like Dana Altman? His like his little sayings that you know were famous around these parts for so long become almost like a brand for that team. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 cool because like you said, it's kind of oxymoronic to think that, yeah. that that Oregon would put bend your knees on their shirt when you know it's just such a fundamental that Oregon doesn't strike you as they they seem like they're the anti fundamental like they're because right. of of the flash and I don't know I mean it's it's I mean you know. Coach Allman was great from the standpoint that he was, um, first of all, he was, he's a coach's coach, you know, he's a coach's coach, like he loves, he lives and breathes it, and, you know, he could, you would, he would wear a loss on his face the next day in the office, but he would you know, it wasn't like he wouldn't, wouldn't say hi to you, but you could just tell how, how much he cared, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, typical kind of head coach pessimism too, but, but also, I think that was his way of, 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 <laughs> of coping with the stress of, of being a men's Division One basketball coach. But, uh, you know, I relied on him several times. I mean, sometimes before a hire, I'd go in and ask him what, you know, what was important. And, um, and even a couple times on recruiting, I'd go say, what, you know, I, here's a situation I have. What do, you, what do you think? And he'd give me some advice there. And, um, you know, he actually played some noon ball with us uh, until he – until he pulled his hamstring one day. We were playing three on three in the old gym and he pulled his hamstring and that was the last time he played noon ball with us. But uh, <laughs> uh, just, you know, real, you know, real, I mean, it sounds, he, he, the, other, the other phrase he said all the time was simple plays, fellas. Yeah. And, and Dana, to me, Dana's a simple guy. He's like, he wasn't, he wasn't flashy, he wasn't complicated, but, uh, but he was really good at what he did. Now you have a funny story about that notorious pessimism you alluded to there. I mean, going back to, and it revolves around the best team he ever had at Creighton. Yeah. Uh, one that hardly lost any games, but in the middle of 
in probably the peak of their season, like, you know, when they were when they had one or two losses and they were ranked in the top ten, I mean, you can even recall yeah. some pessimism about their performance at that point. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we, used to, we used to have a staff locker room over in the old gym, and after practice once in a while, if our practices ended at similar times, we'd be down there together changing or whatever, and... I mean, it was it was Corver's senior year, and they were I think seventeen and two or seventeen and one, and he was just complaining about how soft they were, and you know how they just didn't understand how hard they needed to play and let everything affect them, and uh, you know, and once in a while, even we'd have the we had the radio on one night down there during during because uh, there was an old old <laughs> old radio down there, and and one of the one of the uh, T. Scott Marr who used to do the games for the Creighton was doing some crazy sports hour, sports hour yeah. or something, and Dana's listening to him, and T. Scott's just, you know, raving about Dana, <laughs> and Dana just is like, "Shut up, T. Scott," because he just <laughs> didn't want to hear, you know, he didn't want to hear All the, the praise that, that, that uh, T. Scott was 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 heaping on him. So he was just a, you know, just a, uh, just you know, like I said, just had kind of had that. Uh, that pessimism, but he was—he was a—he was also was really good at, at. I think I told you too about like when when he felt like his team was struggling a little, he could he could really he could really get them to, to believe again in themselves. So he'd be hard on them uh, when things were going well because he didn't want them to get overconfident. Um, but when when they he felt like they were losing some uh, losing grip or losing losing some belief, he was really good at flipping that switch too. But uh, yeah, I'm happy for him. A lot of, a lot of good, a lot of, a lot of good times. A lot of memories of, of, of how he helped, uh, helped me in, in my first years of, of being a head coach. And, and, and he was easy to work with. And we'd sit together and talk about who was going to get the gym at whatever time. And he'd be like, "Well, my, my, I got some guys with classes there, so we'll go at night mm-hmm. um, on, on Tuesdays if you want." You know. Um, I don't think he's having to share court space in Oregon, though. Did <laughs> <laughs> so you guys share the uh, the the one side of the court's a little bigger, though, right? That's the, yeah, that's five the, foot longer on the. He liked the to make the guys run a little extra, yeah. a little extra distance there. Yeah, he was he was yeah he was classic. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm so bad at closing these things out. I appreciate the time <laughs> you've given me all season. I mean, I know it was probably. From handling the player standpoint, it probably wasn't very busy, but trying to figure out how to keep this thing on the right track, you know, and not stumbled on the stretch was probably challenging. So I appreciate all the time you, you know, made sitting down. This will probably be the last chat for a while as you're, you know, you get to enjoy some R&R, kick back, watch the facilities guys hang up the banner in the right spot or wherever they're going <laughs> to put it. Um, yeah. Do you have a ring yet? Any jewelry coming in yet? Or are you uh, I think players are getting rings, and I think we get NC watches. I haven't seen oh, really? I've seen as a hat so far, so oh. we'll see. Um so are they going to be like all blinged out watches, or are you going to ask for something more traditional? I don't know. I, I, no, I, I would. I would want something more traditional. I'd, of course, you I would. I would even want something I would wear. Yeah. No, yeah. I totally makes sense. Yeah. You should probably need a new watch. though. When's the last time you had a new watch? <laughs> I don't know. It's um, been a while. Yeah, but yeah. Thanks for everything. Congratulations on a really good season, and uh, enjoy your off season and preparing for. Don't prepare too early. Yeah. You know, enjoy it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. But you thanks as always for the time. Okay. Thanks, man. All right, Matt, that was awesome. Uh, I know I say it almost every time, but uh, like you said, Jim is so great with his time. Uh, oh, he's the best. He's yeah. the best. Yeah, so, um, you know, really appreciate you spending the time with him. And, you know, I know that selfishly that just sets 
you up and the podcast up and white and blue review um, dot com up to just be even more um, kind of entrenched as that program continues to improve. And it's so funny because, you know, I, I, we've seen the same thing with Coach Booth and the volleyball program. I mean, you being there day in, day out, you being the one asking the best questions at the at the at the pressers or on your own and and being in austin and going these places i mean it does it 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 makes a big difference when it comes to um your voice being heard and us being able to tell um blue jays fans uh the best stories and bring the best coverage so thank you as well for spending time with jim and, and going out of your way to ask him thoughtful questions and having those great relationships with folks down on the hilltop so yeah i don't know how much uh I don't know how good my questions are, but it certainly helps to see how the sausage is prepared. There you go. Because then when you, you know, when you watch the, you know, like I said, the games are 40 minutes long for women's basketball. For volleyball, it takes about, you know, less than two hours at most times. So there's not a lot of time in game to see. But when you're watching it all kind of unfold, when you're watching it all unfold and you've seen the practices every day, you kind of know why everything happened the way it did. So like the Elite Eight run for volleyball wasn't surprising. And Creighton blitzing Toledo wasn't surprising, you know. So all that things like, you know, when when it when it when it gets the headline that, that it does, sometimes nationally you think that Creighton's coming out of nowhere, but you know the the seeds of that are sown like long ago. So yeah, um, yeah, it just helps to be there every day, I guess. Cool. And another team that you're around often that we're going to cover in our next podcast, kind of our next sort of end of year uh, in a review um, show will be the vaunted men's basketball team. So I know you've got some big uh, plans and some ideas that you want to pull off in terms of interviews for that, Matt. But, um, you know, we'll put a call out on Twitter for <laughs> for questions from our followers. I'm sure those will um, come in by the dozens. A lot of question marks anytime a season ends. But the Blue Jays not exactly showing um, their fans exactly what they wanted to see out in Sacramento on St. Patrick's Day. Their season coming to what many people, especially those that were getting their hopes up in November, December, and January, uh, came to uh, too, too premature an end for the Jays. So um, we'll, we'll have an episode or probably an episode or two frankly, where we break down how everything went those last couple weeks and where things are headed into the off season. Um, you know, but until then, we, we thank you guys for listening. We hope you keep tuning in to these shows as we try to get better and better every episode. Um, you know, talk about sausage being made, man. That's how some of these feel as we're, <laughs> as we're thinking through them, you know, and going back and forth on email about what we want to talk about. But yeah, ultimately, we just need to get more of our listeners involved, good questions. We can, we can be more uh, agile in, in how quickly we respond to these things and make this show as much about the listeners as it is about Matt and I kind of going back and forth. So right. um, with that, I think Matt, unless there's anything you want to add, we'll call it a night and we'll get this, uh, we'll get this bad boy posted and, and let everybody hear Jim and, and your interview with him. Oh man, thanks for having me on again. I'm glad you're feeling better. Yeah. Thanks to uh, thanks to Flan if he's listening for doing the interview and thank thanks you Lawlers. Thank you Lawlers for thank you Lawlers.
Thanks, Lawlers. I felt bad, man. I tweeted at Lawlers when they, they they were all excited about their St. Patrick's Day green Creighton gear, and I was really excited too because I wanted James to have something to wear to school that day that wouldn't get him pinched, but that he'd be ready for the game for. And uh, they didn't have any kid sizes yet, or uh, they weren't planning to do any kid sizes for those St. Patrick's Day shirts. <laughs> and uh, I didn't think about what it would come – I, I didn't think about what the tweet would look like if they said no. I just kind of assumed they were going to. Um, plus, I was all just kind of hyped up for the game or whatever. And then they shot back a no. I was like, probably shouldn't have done that <laughs> for <laughs> for my from a sponsor. But uh saw plenty of people rocking their Lawler's gear nonetheless. So yeah, um, it'll be a hand me. It'll be a hand me down. Maybe exactly, exactly. So thank you, Lawler's, for. Uh, putting up with us and and putting your name on this on this uh on another episode of this podcast so uh with that really just uh we'll put a we'll put a bow on this one and get ready for the next one on the uh blue jays bites podcast sponsored by lawler's custom sportswear for matt de i'm brian dot signing off tonight with a big go jays